Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Chapter 35, I'm going to pick it up at verse 1 if you want to go ahead and, and follow along with me. Then Moses gathered all the congregation of the children of Israel together and said to them, These are the words which the Lord has commanded you to do. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh day shall be a holy day for you, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire throughout your dwellings on the Sabbath day. And you might be thinking, wait a minute, Pastor, you were just talking about ministry, and now all of a sudden we're reading about the Sabbath day. What, why does this chapter begin with a reiteration? Because we've, we've, the Lord's mentioned it a few times now. Why does it begin with the reiteration of the Sabbath law? Um, Alfred Eidersheim, who's a Jewish man, lived many years ago, uh, was a, I, I don't know if he was a rabbi, but he was definitely an authority in th all things Jewish and Judaism, uh, had this to say, you know, he did some uh, analyzing and basically the work of actually constructing the tabernacle, putting together all the, the material for the high priest and, or, you know, the garments and everything, all that work took about six months. And as we read through this, there's a lot of things that are going to be taking place, a lot of construction and fabricating things and stuff like that going on uh, in six months. And so they're going to be busy. They're going to be busy. And I don't know if you remember last week we talked about in Exodus chapter 34, verse 21, the Lord was saying to the children of Israel, six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest in plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. And last week I pointed out that, you know, it's interesting that the Lord mentions plowing time and harvest time. Why would he do that? And I mentioned last week, it's because God knows our hearts. And he knows how tempting it would be to forego observing the Sabbath if you're so busy doing things. If you're a workaholic in plowing time, and it'd be like, there's no time to, visit, to observe the Sabbath. I got to get these, you know, I've, I've got to work on my fields and everything. Um, how tempting it would be to forego observing the Sabbath if you were all about money during harvest time. You know, I'm going to get these crops in and it's going to cost me to not just to leave them in the field. I got to get them in. And so God knows our hearts. And so back in chapter 34, he says, even in plowing time and in harvest, you shall observe my Sabbaths. Well, here too, God knows our hearts, or their hearts, I should say, but also for you and I, because for them, you know, again, they're going to be, they're going to be just plowing into, excuse the pun, but they're going to be working on all these things, constructing the tabernacle and everything, and it would be tempting for them to forego the Sabbath because they're so busy, they've got work to do, and it's good work to do. The Lord's commanding them to do it. And so God knows their hearts. You know, God knows our hearts as well. Even in our serving the Lord, even in ministry, we can become works-based. And, you know, these children of Israel were not allowed to not to allow their work. And, and this is a noble job that they're doing. Uh, they were not to allow their job to keep them from observing the Sabbath. And I think that's why this is here as far as the application for you and I. You know, we can get so involved in ministry, but we need to... Uh, not necessarily observe the Sabbath the way the Jewish people did, but I think what the Lord is saying, and he's saying to them, don't neglect the Sabbath in your ministry to me. Well, what is the Sabbath all about? It boils down to one word, rest. Rest. 
You see, there's a difference between striving, you know, working, striving to gain God's approval and working from a place of rest. I see many saints, I know many saints, uh, you know, it, or I should say many saints do, I think, serve. Uh, their motivation is obligation, you know, they, they feel obligated to minister, you know, we, we put out some, like Chuck did this morning, you know, hey, there's this ministry that, you know, if you want ministry opportunities, we call them opportunities, it's not ministry commandments, you know, and we're going to take a list and, and write down it, well, we do have a list, but, <laughs> you know, I'm not walking around, walking up to you saying, well, what are you going to do, you know, I don't see your name on the list, you know, um, and sometimes in our serving, we can become works-based, and, and, and motivated by, you know, we feel obligated to do it. You know, there's a plus side to that. Work does get done. I could, I could manipulate people into working and serving and, and things get done. But the negative side to that, I think, God's not glorified. God's not glorified because he knows our hearts. And the person themselves, they're not blessed in their serving in that response. Why? Because there's no joy. Because you're just striving to earn God's approval. And, you know, Jesus said this in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. He said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you ever feel that way in serving? You ever feel like burdened in serving or, you know, it's this hard work serving? Jesus says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Listen, if you're involved in some kind of serving, I'll call it ministry, but any kind of serving, the body of Christ or serving the Lord, and if it becomes, a, feels like it's a burden to you, or you feel like you're, you're just like, man, I got to do it. They're expecting me to do this. Then... You're not doing it. That's not, that's not of the Lord. That's not the Lord's heart in it. Because the Lord's yoke is easy and his burden is light. And so I think this application here, the children of Israel, they, they, were, to, they were to do all this work, but they weren't to neglect that rest. And for you and I serving, we're not to neglect the fact that we serve out of that rest. In other words, we're, we, we work, we're serving the Lord, but it's he already finished the work on the cross. So we're not doing anything to earn God's favor or God's approval or a better standing with the Lord in our serving. We're just serving because it's that love that constrains us, the Lord's love for us. And so verse 4, it says, And Moses spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying, Take from among you an offering to the Lord, Whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it as an offering to the Lord. So here, <coughs> excuse me, Moses is relaying God's command to the children of Israel. He had received that from God. It wasn't like Moses coming up with this plan. Hey, guys, I want to build this really neat tabernacle. It's going to be awesome, and we're going to worship the Lord. No, it wasn't Moses' idea. God commanded Moses, this is what you shall do. And if you've studied or been around here as we've been going through the book of Exodus, man, it was like 10 chapters ago when God gave this command to Moses up on Mount Sinai, Exodus chapter 25. It's given to Moses way back there when Moses was on Mount Sinai with the Lord, 10 chapters ago. What was, why was the delay? Why is it, why is it also now 
God is giving, uh, or Moses is giving the command to the people. Remember, Moses spent 40 days and 40 nights on the mountain there originally. And during that time, he received the first tablet of the Ten Commandments. During that time, the Lord said, hey, you better get down from the mountain because uh, the people, they, they're worshiping an idol. And sure enough, they, he, Moses goes down there, and they're there worshiping a golden calf. They, they didn't know what happened to Moses, so they, they made a calf that they could worship out of gold. And so Moses comes down from the mountains, and you know that's, you've seen that picture, Charlton Heston holding those things, and he throws them on the ground, and they bust up, and, and uh, that was the first tablets of the covenant. And then he deals with the people. He grinds up the altar and the powder, the gold, and makes them drink it. He dumps it on the water and says, yeah, you guys drink this. And then he deals with Aaron, Aaron, his brother, who's, who you know was supposed to lead the people. And, and here Aaron just kind of, whatever the people wanted, that's what he did. And then Moses, during that time, there's a period of time, we don't know how long, but during that time, Moses is interceding on behalf of the people before the Lord, however long that took. And then he goes back up on the mountain and he's up there for 40 days and 40 nights. During that time, he receives the new tablets of the covenant and the, the covenant is renewed. And, uh, and so you go, well, why was the delay be between chapter 25 and here in chapter 35? It was because of the sin of the people. That's what it boils down to. They were the ones that delayed the working of the tabernacle, do doing all this stuff. Why do I say that? Because, you know, here, finally, 10 chapters later, they're going to start doing it. And, you know, delayed obedience is better than disobedience. Delayed obedience is better than disobedience. I mean, I mean if you, you know, it's, it's never too late to start obeying. And God's giving them an opportunity to now obey him. And, uh, <clears throat> and so verse 5 is a reiteration of the command in Exodus 25, verse 2. In Exodus 25, verse 2, it's almost verbatim what, what we just read earlier, but it says this, Speak to the children of Israel that they may bring me an offering from whoever, uh, excuse me, from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. Now, I did a little word search on the word offering. And that word, because, <clears throat> you know, the word offering in, in our English Bibles, it's all throughout the Old Testament. But this Hebrew word is the word teruma. And this is the first in Exodus chapter 25 when Moses receives this commandment. This is the very first place that it occurs in the Old Testament. The word teruma comes from the verb rum, which means to be high or to be lifted up. And the idea is something being lifted up as an offering to God. That's what this word means. And again, like I said, the first time it appears in the Bible is in Exodus 25 when God gives them this commandment to take this offering. And I think that's significant because in Bible interpretation or Bible, you know, understanding and studying your Bible, the, usually the first time something is mentioned in the Bible, there's, there's some significance to that. And, there, the, the, you know, it, it's, a good, it's a good when you're studying and you come across the first time this is mentioned in the Bible, it's good to look at it and go, well, what's significant about that? Well, what's significant about the first mention of this word teruma, this word offering in Exodus 25, verse 2, it's to be offered to the Lord with a willing heart. That's what's significant. In fact, here in chapter 36, uh, excuse me, 35, and then also in 36, the, the mentioning of the Lord mentions that, that they should give it with a willing heart, it's mentioned six times in this passage of Scripture. So it's definitely significant to the Lord 
that what any of our serving, any of our giving, everything is to be done with a willing heart. Not through manipulation, not through pressure, not through obligation, but through a willing heart. And so verse 5, he says, Take from among you an offering to the Lord, whoever is of a willing heart, and let him bring it as an offering to the Lord. You know, in the New Testament, in Mark chapter 12, verse 41, we're told that Jesus sat outside the treasury there in Jerusalem, and he saw not what the people put in, although he did see what they put in, but that was not what the Lord was interested in. He was looking at how the people put in their contributions into the treasury. And again, that theme of being a willing having a willing heart it flows throughout scripture paul said this in second corinthians 9 7 so let each one give as he purposes in his heart not grudgingly or of necessity for god loves a cheerful giver now you know i'm talking about giving in this in this application here but i want to read something to you out of romans chapter 12 dealing with ministry we're dealing with the gifts of the Spirit, because I think it ties in. In Romans 12, verse 6, it says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence... He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Here Paul has just described the motivational gifts of the Holy Spirit. And in verse, <clears throat> uh, I, don't, I'm, I guess it's verse 8, he mentions the gift of giving. And he says, let him who give, give liber with liberality. Now, the Greek word for liberality is singleness. Or it can mean simplicity or sincerity or mental honesty. Here's a definition. It's the virtue of one who is free from pretense and hypocrisy, not self-seeking, openness of heart, manifesting itself by generosity. You see, in our giving, and, and I'm, you know, we can talk about financial giving, but I'm also talking about giving of our time, our talents, or our treasure, or maybe all three. It's to be given with singleness of heart, no ulterior motives. You know, no strings attached. No, uh, not given grudgingly because that's hypocritical. And given with an open heart. That's what it boils down to. And you might be thinking, okay, Pastor Don must have an ulterior motive because he's changing this message into a sermon on money. <laughs> All right, we're out of here. I knew he was going to do it. He's going to get around to it sooner or later. Listen. Do you give of your time, your talent, or your treasure with a willing heart? Because that's, that's what I'm getting across. Because that's what the Lord is looking at. He's not looking at what you do necessarily, but how you do it. What's your heart in the, in, in the, in the, in the giving or the serving or whatever it is? So verse 5 of Exodus 35 says, <clears throat> Moses speaking to the children of Israel now says, Take from among you an offering to the Lord. Whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it as an offering to the Lord, gold, 
silver, bronze, blue, purple, scarlet thread, fine linen and goat's hair, ram skins dyed red, badger skins and acacia wood, oil for the light and spices for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense, onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. All who are gifted artisans among you shall come and make all that the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle, its tent, its coverings, its clasps, its boards, its uh, bars, its pillars, and its sockets, the ark and its poles with the mercy seat and the veil of the covering, the table and its poles, all its utensils and the showbread, also the lampstand for the light, its utensils, its lamps, and the oil for the light, the incense altar, its poles, the anointing oils, the sweet incense, and the screen for the door at the entrance of the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering with its bronze grating, its poles, all its utensils, and the laver and its base, and the hangings of the court, its pillars, their sockets, and the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle, the pegs of the court, and their cords, the garments of ministry for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments for his sons to minister as priests. That's a lot of things to give, to, to, to supply, and a lot of work to do as well. What's interesting to me is verse 20. Look at verse 20. And all the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. I'm thinking, wait, Moses, what are you doing? I mean, here you're talking to the people and you're letting them go to their tents to think about it, maybe pray about it. I mean, it's like carpe diem, right? Seize the day. <laughs> They're there. Start handing it, you know, have them, have them come forward. Okay, who's going to give this? Who's going to give that? You know, use this opportunity to, uh, to pressure them into giving. I mean, you've got them right here. You've just given the commandment. Listen, remember, this is the first example of this type of offering in the Bible. So the first mention is significant. There's no pressure in Moses' giving. And that goes against conventional wisdom. Conventional wisdom is you've just shared the need. Now you want to give them the opportunity to respond right now and then. Because if you send them home, they're going to forget about it. They'll, they'll, you know, they'll get busy and they won't do anything. And yet Moses doesn't do that. He lets them go back. He doesn't have them sign any pledges. All right, you guys, you need to sign a pledge, you know. Um, or he doesn't start passing around buckets. They would need big buckets for some of the big stuff that they were getting. You know, and, and there's no manipulation. Moses, again, this is significant here, I think. There's no manipulation. Moses doesn't say, if you don't give, the tabernacle's not going to be built. He doesn't, he doesn't lay that trip on people. Um, he doesn't do this. Hey, I, I got a great idea. Let's get the tribes. Let's have a contest. See which tribes can, you know, give the most. And we'll, you know, have a little ceremony, maybe a little, you know, get a little award at the end. You know, whoever tribe gave them. He doesn't do any of that manipulation. He doesn't do this either. If you give at the 20 shekel level, you'll receive my book, Dividing Your Red Sea. And if you give it the 50 shekel level, you receive my book and your very own miniature handcrafted uh, 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 Ark of the Covenant. Beautiful thing to set on your coffee. You know, you can set on your coffee table. It's a great conversation piece. Your visitors will love seeing that. You know, he doesn't do any of that. This might, well, there's also no mention of seed faith giving. Moses doesn't say, you know, if you give to this, the Lord's going to give you a thousandfold back. He doesn't, he doesn't say any of that. 
And there's no word of knowledge either. He doesn't say, okay, guys, someone in here has 500 shekels in their bag. The Lord has revealed this to me. And the Lord is saying to that person, if you give 500 shekels right now, my child, you shall be freed from your greed. You know, I mean, he doesn't do any of that. What does Moses do? He presents the needs and he lets them go back to their homes. That's kind of a scary thing for, for ministry to do that. Hey, you know, um, we don't pass, a, if you've been here any length of time, you realize we don't pass a collection bag or plate around here. And this can be kind of a scary thing for ministry. It's just like, you know what? We've got a tithe box and people, they give as the Lord lays it on their hearts. You know, one thing I can tell you, the Lord's always provided. He's always provided. There's no mani- Hopefully you don't ever feel manipulated into giving because I certainly don't try to manipulate anyone. There's no pressure. No, it's just whatever the Lord does, whatever the Lord lays on your heart. So Moses sent them back. That was a mistake to do. You know, he shouldn't have done that. He should have seized the moment and, you know, took advantage of them being there and everything. But look at verse 21. Then everyone came whose heart was stirred and everyone whose spirit was willing and they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meeting for all its service and for the holy garments. Their heart, which is their mind, their will, their emotions, were stirred to give. They were excited about it. And the spirit, which is the ruach in the, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, it's the pneuma. Uh, in the uh, King James Version, it says his spirit was made willing. And I just think the Lord, you know, you have a willing heart and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit just joins with you. And the Lord, it's, it's a work of the Lord, this giving that these people did. And they brought the Lord's offering. Notice that they were not bringing Moses' offering. They weren't giving uh, to Moses. They weren't giving to the tabernacle. They were giving as unto the Lord. And that's the best way to give. That's the best way to serve as unto the Lord. Verse 22, they came, both men and women, as many as, a, as, as many as had a willing heart, and brought earrings and nose rings, rings and necklaces, all jewelry of gold. That is, every man who made an offering of gold to the Lord, and every man with whom was found blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen, goat's hairs, red skins, red skins of rams, not the red skins, um, badger skins, and brought them. Everyone who offered an offering of silver or bronze brought the Lord's offering. And everyone with whom was found acacia wood for any work of the service brought it. All the women who were gifted artisans spun yarn with their hands and brought what they had spun of blue, purple, and scarlet and fine linen. And all the women whose hearts stirred with wisdom spun yarns of gold's, of, excuse me, of goat's hair. Notice the women spin, spinning yarns. I'm just kidding. That's a, <laughs> that was bad. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Listen, not everyone had gold to give. Not everyone had gold to give. There were some people who said, well, you know, I, I don't have any gold, but, you know, I got some acacia wood. Could you use that? Perfect. Yeah, we can use that. Or maybe someone said, you know, I only, all I do around here is I raise goats, and I, I've got some goats here. Awesome. We'll use that. We could use that. I like what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, 12, and he's talking about an offering that the children or that the Gentiles were giving to the church in Jerusalem. But in verse 12, he mentions this. He says, For if there is first a willing mind 
It is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. Again, I'm not just talking about treasure here this morning. It's easy to make this sound like it's just about giving financially. It's not. With your time, your talent, or your treasure, what has the Lord blessed you with? What have you, what have you, what do you have that the Lord's given you? You'll notice not only did some people give goods, but those women who had the uh, gift of spinning yarn and thread gave of their talents. So it's not just giving financially, it's also, again, serving, giving of their talents. And, you know, this reminds me of what Paul said about the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12.4. He says, there are diversity of gifts, but the same Spirit. And we're not all, we're not all gifted the same way here in the body of Christ. And I think the Lord does that on purpose. Let me reread to you Romans 12, verses 6 through 8. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Well, you might be sitting here this morning and maybe, I, I pray that you do know what your spiritual gifts are, but maybe you don't know. You're like, man, I don't, I don't know what my, my gifts are. Listen, I can tell you one thing about them. They're supernaturally natural. They're supernaturally natural. I want to give you an example. <clears throat> and you've probably, if you've been around, I've, I've used this example before and I borrowed it from another pastor before, but... Um, you know, this just to help you understand, maybe if you don't know and understand what your spiritual gifts are, maybe this will help you regarding Romans 12, verses 6 through 8. So I'm up here. You know, last night I had a little bit of a scratchy throat and I kept coughing and Teresa was upstairs. I was right below her in the office, you know, getting this message ready. And she brought me a, a, some, some cough, a handful of cough drops because probably she wanted to sleep and I'm coughing and I usually hack pretty loud when I cough. And so, um, so anyways... <clears throat> Let's say I'm up here right now, and I start, I start coughing, and uh, man, Isaiah's such a neat guy, you know. Isaiah sees, man, Pastor Don's coughing, and man, his throat's dry, and so Isaiah runs into the back, grabs a cup of a styrofoam cup of water, and he runs back in here to bring me a cup of water. What, a, what a good guy, man. Isaiah's awesome, and uh, as he's running, somebody like Tim, you know, his chair was out a little bit because he kind of was trying to get comfortable, and and Isaiah doesn't see the leg, and he hits the leg. And he trips, and he goes flying, and he does a face plant right here in front on the carpet here. And uh, he skins up his knee. That cup of water just went flying. The cup's crushed. And uh, it's like, oh, man, let me ask you, what would you do in that situation? What would you do? Listen, if you have the gift of prophecy, this is what you might do. You might stand up and say, be of good cheer, my son. For the Lord says, for whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, assuredly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. There's encouraging, a word of the Lord. If you have the gift of ministry, which is really helps or serving, before everyone realizes what's going on, you're already in the back grabbing paper towels and the mop bucket, and you're running up here to clean up the mess. That's the gift of serving. That's a gift of ministry. Behind the scenes, man, you just run in there to do whatever needs to be done. Or maybe you have the gift of teaching. And so you pull Isaiah aside and you say, you know, Isaiah, if you would just walk instead of run, 
you would have had time to avoid that obstacle in the aisleway. And if you held your cup with this kind of a grip, you know, when you fell, you would have saved the cup. The cup wouldn't have broke. In fact, you know, let me give you a little education on surface tension of water. You know, if we fill it just a certain amount, you know, you'd start explaining, you'd be teaching somebody, Isaiah in this case, sorry, Isaiah. <laughs> If you had the gift of exhortation, man, coming alongside someone, encouraging them, you do this, hey, Isaiah, let's get together next Sunday morning and you and I will practice running up and bringing water to Pastor Don. Don't do this alone, brother. You've got others around you. We wanna, we wanna, be, we wanna be there for you. That's the gift of exhortation. Maybe you have the gift of giving. Hey, how much did that styrofoam cup cost? Here's 15 bucks, man, let's buy a case of them, you know? Or maybe you have the gift of leading. You'd stand up right away and go, all right, we need some volunteers to make sure these chairs are in a good row, you know, that there's nothing sticking out. And uh, we need to make sure that Pastor Don's always got water here. Can I get some volunteers? Who wants to bring, make sure every Sunday there's water here for Pastor Don? You know, it would be the gift of leading, right? Or maybe you have the gift of mercy and you don't care about any of that. You just run up to Isaiah, oh, poor Isaiah. Oh, you got an owie on your knee. Let me, let me clean it up. Let me go get you a Band-Aid, you know, that... It, 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 this is kind of funny and it's kind of like it's kind of a silly demonstration but really it, it does point out to what your gifts and callings are how would you respond in certain situations the gifts of the spirit are supernaturally natural whatever it, it, you know if you're the kind of person that serves and you're just behind the scenes i just want to help out and do whatever i can awesome we need people like that they're, they're, they're not in the limelight. They're not up front or anything, but they're there they're, they're there to help out whatever needs to be done. Or teaching, you know, all these gifts. We need all of these gifts. So where would you see yourself? Let me ask you this, and this is not, don't get me wrong, this is not to, to guilt anyone or manipulate anyone or to try to make anyone feel bad about anything. But let me ask you this, right now, as of today, are you doing any ministry and any serving to the Lord or even to this body of Christ here that aligns with what your gifts and your callings are? Are, are you using those gifts and your callings? The children of Israel, they contributed whatever they had to contribute. And it was both men and women. It was, there wasn't a, a you know, gender thing either. In fact, it gets even better. Look at verse 27. The rulers brought onyx stones and the stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate and spices and oil for the light, for the anointing oil and the, for the sweet incense. Now, this is awesome. The rulers weren't above everybody else. They set the example for others to follow. They gave also. And, you know, if you go through the Bible, there's good and bad examples of leaders in the Bible. There's a bad example in Nehemiah 3, verse 5, as the, as the children of Israel, they come in back from Babylonian captivity under the direction of Nehemiah and later on Ezra, and they're, 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 they're building, rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And uh, everybody's, everybody's contributing, everybody's being uh, participating, I should say, full participation. But in verse 5, and this is a bad example, it goes around and it talks about which groups of people are working on the wall. And it gets to verse 5. It says, next to them, whoever them were in verse 4, the Tekoites, so people from Tekoa, made repairs. But their nobles did not put their shoulders to the work of the Lord. 
See, their nobles were thought they were better. That, that, that I'm, It's below me to do that. And here, the rulers setting a perfect example. They were right there ministering alongside. Here's another good example, and it's basically through a prophetic song that uh, the judge Deborah says in Judges 5 verse 9, Barak uh, and her and, and the children of Israel have fought against the Canaanites under, under a general named Sisera. And uh, they had victory. The Lord gave them victory. And then in, in Judges chapter 5, um, Deborah does, gives a song, and it's a prophetic song. And in Judges 5 verse 9, she says, My heart is with the rulers of Israel who offered themselves willingly with the people. Bless the Lord. I mean, that's what ministry should be. It's not like there's a hierarchy. We're, we're all ministering together right alongside one another. Verse 29, the children of Israel brought a freewill offering to the Lord, all the men and women whose hearts were, built, were, were willing to bring material for all kinds of work which the Lord, by the hand of Moses, had commanded to be done. Isn't that a beautiful thing? There's no coercion. There's no burden. There's no guilt. This is the kind of ministry that pleases the Lord. Its ministry is done as unto him. Verse 30. And Moses said to the children of Israel, See, the Lord is called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, in wisdom and understanding, in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship, to design artistic works, to work in gold and silver and bronze, and cutting jewels for setting, in carving wood, and to work in all manner of artistic workmanship. And he has put in his heart the ability to teach. In him and in Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, he has filled them with skill to do all manner of work of the engraver and the designer and the tapestry maker in blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine linen and of the weaver, of those who do every work and those who design artistic works. So we have two individuals that are mentioned by name. They're called by name. The Lord called them by name, Bezalel and Aholiab. And those men are filled with the Spirit of God called by can you can you imagine you know Moses comes down from the mountain and Moses says uh, you know <clears throat> Aholiab the Lord's called you to do this work he's filled you with his spirit to do his work listen Ephesians 2 10 says this and it's speaking about you and I today for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them if you think your life or your ministry or your existence here at Calvary Chapel or in the body of Christ universally is insignificant, you're mistaken. You're mistaken. God has a plan and a purpose for every single one of us. And his plan is from, the, from before creation. He, in his wisdom, and it just blows my mind when I think about it, but, but he has a plan. He had a purpose for your and my life before we were even born. And I want to encourage you. Are you, are you, are you, are you taking advantage of that? Are, are you stepping into it? He's given each one of us certain gifts, talents, and ability. And what's interesting here, too, the Lord filled them not only with the wisdom and ability to perform the work, but he put it in their hearts, the ability to teach others. And I think that's a, another important aspect of ministry, you know, raising up people to minister alongside with you. 
That's a great way to, to uh, encourage people or, or to disciple without even discipling, without having that I'm going to disciple you. You know, you, you just, hey, why don't you come alongside with me? Let's, let's do this together. And you minister side by side. It's a great thing to do. It gets other people involved. They, they find out what their gifts and their calling of, you know, sometimes they start doing, go, well, I'm definitely not called to this. Well, that's cool. At least you tried it, right? At least you tried it. So now you know. Now you know that that one maybe isn't what you've been given. So the Lord put in their hearts the ability to teach others. And I think that's an important thing in ministry too. Listen, their purpose, the children of Israel and all that they're doing here, they, everyone did their part. Everyone did. And the rulers, the women, the children. Well, I don't know if it doesn't say the children, but we can assume they probably participated too. Everyone did their part as the Lord blessed them with their time, with their talents, and with their treasures to construct the tabernacle and prepare for the worship of the Lord. Everyone did what, they, what part they could for the benefit of all. And, you know, God in his wisdom doesn't like pick out like five individuals in a church and go, I'm going to give you all of the gifts of the spirit and you're, you're going to have it all, brother. You know, you're going to have every gift and you're going to do everything. God doesn't have supermen, you know, Lone Ranger supermen with all the gifts. God purposely diverse, you know, he gives the gifts uh, to people. He distributes them uh, according to his wisdom. And he does that so that we all can participate and we can all minister together for the good of everybody. I like what Paul says here, verse Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 7. There are diversity of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Well, let's move to chapter 36, and we'll wrap this up here pretty soon. Verse 1, And Bezalel and Aholiab, and every gifted artisan in whom the Lord has put wisdom and, un and understanding to know how to do all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary, shall do according to all that the Lord has commanded. Then Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every gifted artisan in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, everyone whose heart was stirred to come and do the work. And they received from Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of making the sanctuary. So they continued bringing to him freewill offerings every morning. So we have Bezalel by name and Aholiab, and then we don't know the names of the others, but every other gifted artisan they were called by God. They were anointed by the Holy Spirit. And, you know, you think about it. They're doing what the Lord's commanded. So you need to have that Holy You need to have the Holy Spirit to be able to do what God, uh, to do the Lord's work the Lord's way. But they were not only willing to be used, but they were available to be used. They were called. They were gifted. They were filled. And then they actually went out and started doing it. You see, Willing to be willing to minister, I mean, that's an awesome thing because it has to start. You have to be willing, right? God wants a willing heart. So you, it has to start somewhere. So if you're willing to minister, to serve, you're like, Lord, maybe this morning, you know, Lord speaking to your heart, and you're like, Lord, okay, I, I, I want to use my gifts and talents for your glory, whatever it is. And I, maybe I have a better understanding after going through that little exercise there. Um, and Lord, I want to do it. And, and that's awesome. That's great. But don't let it stop there. Don't let it stop with just being willing. 
You also have to be available. You see, unused potential is wasted potential. It, it, yeah, you're, you've got all these gifts, but if you don't use it, it's, it's a waste. It's a waste. So they were called, they were filled, and then they stepped up to perform the various ministries that they had been given. Verse 4, Then all the craftsmen who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from the work he was doing, and they spoke to Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded us to do. So Moses gave a commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. And the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient for all the work to be done. Indeed, too much. What a beautiful problem to have. There was so much that they had to start restraining people from bringing. You know, when I think about this, and, I, you know, yeah, we could, we could apply this to financial giving and stuff, but I don't want to do that. I want to just in the in the whole sense of ministry as a whole. Can you imagine what this church or what any church in in this city or any church in this nation or any church in the body of Christ anywhere if everybody was using the gifts that God had given them with a willing heart, they were filled with the spirit, they were available and they actually started doing them. Could you imagine the things that could be done? for the kingdom of God in this community in our lifetime. It just blows my mind when you think about it. Why don't you stand up and let's go to the Lord in prayer.